Welcome to TNT's Hit Songs from Mars, where we unravel the stories behind some of pop's most unlikely hits. From simple curiosities to songs that changed the world, we examine the socio-political and cultural factors that contributed to the success of these surprising outliers. And the impact these songs had on society. I'm Tom Thompson. And I'm Tyler Alston. And together we're... TNT. Hi, how's it going? Hey, Tom. I am parfait. How are you doing? I'm uh, I'm okay. I'm a little uh, saddened by the loss of our our dear Shane McGowan. Yeah, I know. It's it's a shocker. He was a legend, and he was a big part of our youth, uh, of course. And let me just let me back up one second. Shocker? No, that was not a shocker. Yeah. What's shocking is that he made it as far as he did. But mm-hmm. yeah, he, he was he was a big part of our youth. Um, so again, it's one of those things where, you know, someone like that goes, even though you haven't thought about them in forever and it's like, oh man, you know, your own mortality comes into focus a little bit. Yeah. Well, and I, I think he, uh, it, it sounds like he died peacefully at home. So that's nice. At least he'd been in the hospital for many months apparently. So. Right. And, if, and I think he was confined to a wheelchair for the last seven years or something like that. Oh, that long. Wow. Something, yeah. yeah, since I think so. It's been a while since he had a couple probably alcohol-related falls. And there's a point where your body just can't withstand repeated falls down flights of stairs or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. How are things going with you? Eh, not too bad. Just kind of, you know, settling into the holiday season f- with all its pluses and minuses. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for how, sure. How about you? It's a mixed you? bag. Uh, yeah, same deal. I mean, I'm really uh, waiting for the snow to come so I can start skiing. It's just kind of a hard time of year because in terms of activities, because it's too cold to do many of the summer and fall things like cycling and all that. Um, but there's no snow yet, so you can't ski yet. But uh, Okay, Tom, welcome to my winter world. <laughs> oh, this is your whole world. <laughs> I guess. Yeah, it's too yeah. cold to do all that other stuff you just mentioned, and it never snows enough to ski. So. Right. Again, cold mud. That's a Kentucky winter. I mean, we <laughs> we we get you know we get the the odd days where you can do stuff, and and, and winter hikes are great. You can do those. Mm-hmm. It's not like forty below zero or whatever, but yeah, it's 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 an easy but depressing winter. Depressing enough because it's weak. Yeah, and I guess I'm guessing that the hikes are pr- are probably pretty muddy. Well, not necessarily. Okay. But yeah, it's kind of cool. Winter hikes have their own pluses. Um, with all the leaves gone, you can see these amazing distances sometimes that you wouldn't see in the summer. That's true. Yeah. Like at, at the Breaks Interstate Park where I love to hike, you can see down to the river, which is mm, unreal. Mm-hmm. In in the summer, you can't you can't see more than a couple hundred feet because uh, yeah. the, the foliage is so thick, which is which is cool. You get a new look at things. Yeah. Any plans for the holidays? Um, let's not think about that right now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> let's just get there in one piece. That's my philosophy. <laughs> get there in one piece. Okay. <laughs> well, my dad is turning 90 just oh, after wow. the holidays, so that's a pretty big deal. So I think we'll be having a, a some kind of a party for him. Um, yeah. Pretty, pretty awesome. amazing to think of that active guy being 90, isn't it? Yeah. Most people don't see 90. It's true. Mm-hmm. Shane McGowan didn't see 90. No, certainly not. Yeah, what's amazing about him, I mean, it's, again, the amount of abuse that he seemed to inflict upon himself, again, that he made it to 65. 
Yeah. I mean, when you get kicked out of the pogues for drinking too much, <laughs> you've got issues. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, on that note, Ty, I think I'm going to kick into our, our hit song for Mars here. Oh, you just want to get right down to business. All right. I really do. I'm no, not fooling around here. All right. There's no fooling around on the holiday episode. So <laughs> let her rip. All right. Here we go. Oh, yeah. I kind of, I kind of figured that was coming. <laughs> you the, knew because I was kind of rushing into the episode. And, and of course, the passage of Shane McGowan not so long ago. Yeah. So, it, I, and it's, you know, one of two rock and roll Christmas songs out there worth listening to. So, <laughs> well, it's kind of weird for me because obviously, like, we have this strong tie, maybe me more than you, to the Pogues. But I don't think I actually realized until researching this episode just how massive a song this has been. Okay. Um, and particularly, I mean, obviously in New York, it's, it's a really big deal. And there's a lot of, you know, Irish, Irish folks living in New York. Um, but anyway, I'll, I'll just back up a little bit. So obviously the song is Fairy Tale of New York by the Pogues. Um, it was released the 23rd of November, 1987. Um, and, and then in 88, their classic album, uh, If I Should Fall From Grace With God uh, was released. And that was their third studio album. They did have a, an EP, Poetry in Motion, before that. Um, and uh, I think we, I think we, we might, we may have a fight about this, but uh, oh, I think good. I should fall from grace with God is is my favorite. But I think you're a you're a rum guy, aren't you? Oh, absolutely, rum sodomy lash is the peak. Wow, I so don't agree. <laughs> I'll tell you why. <laughs> Please enlighten us, oh wise one. I I think <laughs> that theme seems to be coming up over and over. Um, I think that they this is the album that they really found themselves on. That I think, uh, I d- and I did, before you accuse me of, of being uh, unfamiliar again with <laughs> Rum Sodomy and the Lash, I did listen again today. And while I think it, it, I do think it's a great album, I find it's fairly traditional. Um, and I just think that the Pogues became so much more in, in the next album. They really pushed beyond. That's interesting. And that's probably a fair assessment. Um and there's a lot of reasons I think we could we could examine that. Um, well, go ahead. You, fi- you finish what you have to say for this intro, and then we can we can debate. Well, I think we should debate right now. Let's start with a let's start with a good Irish fight. Aye. <laughs> oh, he's taking a, a drink of whiskey. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Bailey's and Bailey's and coffee. Um. Well, why would you, I would like you to defend why you think Rum Sodomy and the, La- and the Lash is the penultimate. Ultimate. Oh, Thank you. Penultimate. No, <laughs> no, it's Fall from Grace's penultimate is in second best. Oh, okay. I actually didn't know that was the thing. Everyone misuses that word. Okay. Coming and saying from the- Thank you, old wise one. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah, I know ultimate and then beyond ultimate. No, it just means second to last. Anyway, or second. Okay. So, um- Back to your question. It's got that perfect combination of raw and refined. It okay. hasn't crossed over the line into too produced or anything like that. It, it hits the moment. It hits the sweet spot. And okay. I'm not saying that um, If I Should Fall From Grace With God is bad or anything other than that. And mm-hmm. it's I think it's safe to say, you know, which one's better in my opinion ask me on a given day, you know? Yeah, right. 
Um, it, they they both have wonderful things about them. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, definitely Rum Sodomy in the Lash is the punkier one. Um, mm-hmm. In you know, if I should fall from grace, it, it's a, it's a more refined sound. And all that's perfectly good in a, in a perfectly natural steps in their evolution. So it's kind of hard to ask which one is quote unquote better. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, because they're both great. They're classic albums. But mm-hmm. okay, I think we can probably both agree that um, Peace and Love, which came after, was a, a definite step down. <laughs> Absolutely, from both no. of those. Absolutely. And, you know, I was lucky enough to see the Pogues on, on the, if I should fall from grace with God tour. And I, and I, it was, it was just like life altering. It really was, it was just unbelievable. Um, and I really think that they were at the peak of their powers at the, at that point. Um, but I, but I will, I, um, I will say a few things about Ramasad. I mean, the lash, I do think his vocals are, are great. Um, possibly stronger on that one. Um, and uh, yeah, it's kind of raw. Do, do you know who produced Rum Sodomy in the Lash? If I'm not mistaken, I'm going to say Elvis Costello. You're quite right, sir. Yeah, that's what I thought. He okay. produced that and he also produced uh, Pogatry in Motion, which was the EP that that followed uh, Rum Sodomy in the Lash. So, and you know, as we've sort of discussed before- He lets uh, them do their thing. With, he, exactly. With the with our episode on uh, Madness, where we talked about the specials, um, we mentioned that part of the reason why that that ultimate specials album as opposed to penultimate um was was a success is because he kind of it, it is raw and he kind of just let them it's almost like he just recorded like a live performance kind of thing so right and it's it's a it's not as big a sound as uh you know is what would you call it uh if i should fall from grace um yeah. you know for the song fiesta there's a there's yeah. a, there's a horn section for crying out loud. yeah 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 <laughs> And there's strings, obviously, on this song. You know, there's strings. There's a there's a lot of there's a lot more of uh, there's a lot more influences too. Like Turkish song of the damned has mm-hmm. has a different feel. It's fantastic. It's also pretty punk, though. Like a song like "Bottle of Smoke." I, I don't think you could say that <laughs> they've lost their edge. <laughs> no, "Bottle of Smoke." You might you could put on "Rum Sodomy Lash." Would be more appropriate. Yeah, who knows? It may have been recorded in that era or, or written in that it's era. It's true. It's like, oh, let's, yeah. let's let's throw this rock and her one on on this one just because we need a little more of an edge, you know, that kind of thing. Who knows? Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's a it's got great variety. I mean, uh, if I should fall from grace of God. And it's got great variety, does a lot of different things. Again, it, it covers a lot of topics. 
mm-hmm. um, you know, thematically speaking, including, you know, there's, I can't remember the name of the song, but they talk about, you know, basically Irish people imprisoned just for wrongly accused. Uh, the Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, the, in Guelford, there were seven and I can't remember the name. Birmingham of six or something. Birmingham like that. six. That's the one. Yeah, that's right. There were six men in Birmingham and Guelford this far. There were picked up and tortured and framed by the law. And the felt got promotion, but they're still doing time. We've been Irish in the wrong place and at the wrong time. In Ireland, they'll put you away in the maze. In England, they'll keep you for some bad days. God help you with everything you can on these shores. That's a great song. Yeah, they're, I mean, they're all, I can't think of one that's bad. Of course, um, The Worms is just <laughs> kind of a one in a lifetime. Yeah, I, I, yeah that was kind of funny. The worms come in and the worms come out. The ones that go in are lean and thin. The ones that come out are fat and stout. Eyes fall in and your teeth fall out Your brains come tumbling down your snout Be merry, my friends, be merry It's almost like it's almost like they put it on there because they knew everything else was so perfect they had to put just a little bit of a stain on it to, <laughs> to, to give a bit of a poke mahon to the to the everybody. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty that, it's, it's a pretty good one. And yeah, Fall from Grace, maybe you know, that may be their best song. That's a great song. Yeah. yeah. It's it's very, I mean, it's, you know, it's funny because I, I actually didn't remember how much Rum, Sodomy, and the Lash was more, it's very ba- ballady in a sense. Like almost half the songs are ballads, you know, which well, I was surprised to re-listen to it and, hear, and note that. Yeah, that's true. And the, well, I mean, there's the pair of brown eyes, which mm-hmm. there's a, there's a weird thing they do on that album. They have one that's clearly written from the perspective of a woman and it's sung by Shane, and then one sung by a man, which mm-hmm. is the, has the woman singing. Yeah, and it's, it's like they just they flip they flip the script, which is kind of funny. Yeah, yeah, uh, the, I, it's funny. Uh, yeah, because uh, I think Cat Cat O'Riordan is her name. Yeah, um, it looks like Kate, but it, everyone seems to say Cat or the Irish do at least. Um, Kate, Kate. Yeah, I'm, she I'm sang to, that one. Um, I'm a man you don't meet meet every day. It's right. actually beautiful. Beautiful singing on that. Oh, my name is Oh, yeah, it's a wonderful thing. And then, let's see, also on that album was a, a pretty risque thing they did, the old main drag. It's a, it's oh, yeah. a firsthand perspective of a gay prostitute mm-hmm. or someone who goes to the, the old main drag of London and winds up being a gay prostitute. When I first came to London, I was only 16. With a fiver in my pocket and my old dancing bag. I went down to the dilly to check out the scene, but I soon ended up upon 
Yeah. Um, okay, well, let's just get into a little bit of the sort of the success of this song. Um, okay. It, it reached uh, number two on the UK charts uh, when it came out, and it was only beaten by uh, the the Brenda Lee classic Always On My Mind by the Pet Shop Boys, your favorite. Indeed. <laughs> And the you know, of course, around Christmas time things go bananas, right? So, so the song has actually appeared uh, in the UK top twenty nineteen times, and oh, wow. has has been in the in the top twenty uh, every Christmas since two thousand and five. Which okay. is interesting because I think it means that people are actually buying it again it's not you know what i mean like i don't think it's people are just listening to it i think they're actually rebuying it because i think that's how the charts work i could be wrong yeah things things are are strange in that sense these days but it, it might also be well again the uk i don't know you know uk all of that's going to be different than what i'm used to mm-hmm. but at least in the states that song didn't sort of make it onto the christmas eternal loop for quite a long time Okay. I mean, it's a very unusual Christmas song in mm-hmm. that how many Christmas songs features bum and punk and old sluts on junk? <laughs> it's not very Christmassy. Um, that's right. But that's what makes it so fun. And they don't try to edit it. I mean, I, I remember yeah. you know, walk, walking around, you know, in the shopping mall and hearing, you're a bum, you're a punk, you're an old slut on junk. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm in the Christmas it, spirit now. Well, it is pretty remarkable, and I think you're you've, you're already giving me my little my little uh, badge of approval that this is definitely a hit song for Mars. Because as you oh, say, absolutely. there is really no no other song like it. I can't think of any other song that has that uh, kind of thing. But but we'll get to that. Let's just go into okay. a little bit more of the the history of the of the writing of the song. Okay. Um. So the song was uh um actually it's actually uh Jem Finer the banjo player banjo was actually a a big part of this. Yeah. And he, so what happened was he, there were kind of, um, it was kind of funny cause he had one song where it was like a good melody and one song where the lyrics were pretty good. Um, and it was kind of like a, like one had, one had good melody and terrible lyrics and, <laughs> um, and they sort of got combined. Um, one of the really interesting things about, um, uh, this song is that it, it was, it, it happened over a couple of years. Uh, and there were a lot of missteps along the way, and it's actually kind of remarkable um, that it got it, that it ever, even got recorded. To be honest, and we'll, I'll go through all the things that kind of happened. Um, but it, it actually, yeah, it actually goes back to 1985. Um, and according to Shane McGowan, there's different stories on this. And Shane, you know, being inebriated all the time, it's hard to know what, how much is truth. But he claims that. Elvis Costello, when they were uh, in a session, uh, probably in the Pogatry Motion sessions, I believe, challenged the Pogues to write a, a Christmas song because <laughs> he said, I, I don't mm. think you can do it, <laughs> uh, which w- would be pretty amazing if that was the case. Um, and an, another example of, of Elvis Costello uh, yeah, stirring the pot in a good way. Yeah, so the, the initial lyrics kind of... Um, 
they focused on kind of like this sort of nautical story of like, a, you know, someone on a boat going far away and the sort of like loss and yearning, all this stuff. Um, and it was really interesting um, because a huge part of the success of this song was actually Jem Finer's wife uh, saying, this is boring and sappy. <laughs> and as they say in, in Ireland, leave it, leave it out. <laughs> in other words, uh, this is crappy. And apparently he... He would often bring songs to her and she was a very, um, would give a very honest critique of the songs he was working on. And this was her critique was, this is cheesy. And actually Christmas isn't all about shivering lights and it's for a lot of people, it's really difficult. And, and she thought, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't it be interesting to, to, um, to give a bit of realism to this. And, and actually it was her idea to, uh, to, to have that argument as a, as a feature in the song. I'm, I'm just going to play you. The thing is, is that I think that the thing that's amazing about this and like, obviously Shane is, uh, he's portrayed as, you know, he was portrayed as this drunk and all this stuff, but like the guy's kind of a genius and and not only that, he he actually worked really hard on this song. And it was just like, you know, according to one thing I read, he was like every night he would go in and he would be refining the lyrics to the song. Um, and uh, I'm just going to play a, 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 demo, a demo of an early version of the song. Cool. So you can kind of see uh, where things started. So you can definitely see how the, the song wasn't wasn't really there at all, and and you know how much work uh, needed to be done. Um, of course, it's interesting on this version; it's it's actually Cat uh, O'Reardon was singing the the female female part. Uh-huh. In the song. Yeah, it, you know, it should be said. I think at this point that. The, the Pogues were, uh, at one point they were touring in Germany and, um, they were watching this film, uh, once, a, once upon a time in America. Do you know that? Oh film? yeah, sure. The gangster movie. Yeah. They were absolutely obsessed with this movie. So they were touring and they were just endlessly watching this movie over and over. And I think it really started to, the, that, that sort of, uh, the New York vibe really started to work into them and especially Shane. Oh, that's who, cool. That's far out. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, so that's pretty pretty interesting. So obviously, you know, I think when you heard the the lyrics that were going on <laughs> in that in that previous version, you can see that there was a lot of uh, work to be done. Um and then so the the, the song kind of got shelved. Um but that wasn't the only problem because uh in 1986, Cato Reardon ended up marrying Elvis Costello <laughs> and quitting the band. <laughs> yeah, that's right. She was she was so the original then, bass player too, wasn't she? Yeah, that's right. Um, so I don't know how I don't know how all that went down. Like, I wonder if they're kind of like, I, like if they're mad at Elvis about that. But it is notable that the follow up album was not produced by him. It was Steve <laughs> Lillywhite, if I'm not mistaken. That, right? That's right. Yeah. Steve I know Lillywhite, my producers, right. Tom. Don't mess with me, man. Yeah, yeah. Finally, <laughs> you, you finally the respect. 
um, yeah. So like, so Steve Lillywhite, and I mean, he was, he was a huge producer. It's actually quite a coup that they got him because, uh, what else did he, he do produced, besides that, that would be like, oh, like, pre- <laughs> previous, previous to the, most of the early U2 albums. Nothing changes on New Year's Day. On New Year's Day. I'll be with you again. I'll be with you again. Peter Gabriel XTC like he was he was a big name. Mr. Big Time. He was a big time. Yeah. Um, and so, but the interesting part about that is that guess who his wife was? Shania Twain. <laughs> <laughs> that don't impress me much. No time. Oh. His wife was Kirsty McCall. Oh, okay. Now, yeah. So, so you get this producer wife guest backup singer deal. With every producer they hire, I get it. It's part yeah. of the it's part of the contract. <laughs> yeah. So so what happened was Steve Lillywhite kind of just suggested, you know, just let just let Kirsty try the song, see how it goes. And apparently they uh, they they have their own studio in their house there, and apparently they spent like a whole day, um, basically phrase by phrase, like perfecting the vocals, basically. Okay. Um, and, and then they sort of, they brought it back to the band and, and literally the band's jaws dropped. Like they just couldn't, they were dumbfounded by how good it was. And it's actually pretty funny because right away Shane was like, oh, I have to redo my vocals because <laughs> she's really just taking this to another level that, uh, you it's, know, she's just outshining me, you know? But I mean, it's an obvious mismatch, but that's what makes it so great. Yeah, no, it's, it's perfect. And I mean, it's just an incredible vocal performance and I think it's just, it, it, it's so epitomizes the whole, uh, the whole sort of feeling they're trying to evoke as she's kind of, you know, soft and gentle, but at the same time, very strong and powerful. And, uh, you know, like the way most people are, <laughs> they're not just one thing. They're not just all sweet. You know, there's a little spice in there too. <laughs> um, right. Yeah. So then, so then once they heard her singing on it, it was just, you know, they knew, they knew they were on to something. And, uh, off they went. Um, one, one little funny anecdote about Steve, Steve Lillywhite recording with the Pogues. He was very, uh, he was very careful to make sure that if there were going to be sessions in the studio, that he booked them early in the day. <laughs> that, that makes perfect sense considering their reputation. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and he said, and he said they were wonderful musicians, but if you got them late in the evening, there was just a little, the, the streams of whiskey were flowing a little too much as, as he might say. Um, and you know, um, we've discussed this before on the podcast, but of course we had that infamous concert where, uh, it was that we saw together, yeah. uh, the po- Pogues and the Violent Femmes, where they suddenly switched the order to put the Pogues on first. And now we know definitively, and you actually said this, and it hadn't actually occurred to me that this was because if they had gone on later, it would have been a mess. Did you find <laughs> that out as a, for a fact, or is that, that's uh, just the modus operandi? I mean... I didn't find it out for okay. a fact, but but backed up y- what you thought initially, and also backed up by what Steve Lillywhite is saying. 
I, I think it's the thing. He, he said, he said, if I were to book them for a performance, I would, I would book them no later than six o'clock <laughs> PM. <laughs> That's by pushing Just your because, luck. Yeah. So, and you know, in a case like this, it was, it would have been, uh, you know, I think it, what was it? Canada's Wonderland or something like that. Where was that? Yeah. That's where it was. Yeah. Um, so it would have been a pretty early show. They were probably on at eight or something, you know, which, so, you know, that would have been, they would have been catching them before things were really got out of hand, basically. <laughs> okay. So this goes back to the argument. See, they got handlers at this point, and, <laughs> which makes yeah. that, that next album, not quite the same as the other yeah. one. So just, well, I just want to point that out. Yeah. And I think, I think that the things really started to go off the rails and, and Steve Lillywhite kind of backs this up after if I should fall from grace with God, where the lifestyle of the Pogues kind of took over the music in a sense. So in, uh, they were already in their decline and, okay. and actually it was around that time that Shane was kicked out of the band. Um, I believe 91, he was kicked out. And that would have been not too long after that concert that we'd seen. And yeah. th- again, that peace and love just was no match for not even mm-hmm. close to the other albums. When I was young, I watched the curse. When I was older, I took a birth. When I was young, I shook a lease. When I was older, I took a fuse. I found love. She gave me dreams. She left me drunk. I mean, they, it's like they, they were trying to find a new sound or something. It's funny because I think at the time I was just so, so I was at the time I was just so uh, enthralled by them. I, I probably wasn't that critical of, of the follow up record, but probably if we listened in hindsight, we would find that Peace and Love is a pretty big uh, disappointment. Uh, do, do you remember anything about the music video? Did you did you see the music video? You know, I don't know if I've ever seen it. Really? Eh? Yeah. Okay. I mean, I know, I mean, I've seen clips of it. I know there's a pipe band involved. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And again, they interview it's, the, one of those pipers repeat over the years, he's always doing retrospective discussions about that day and everything. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty descriptive to, to sort of what the lyrics are of the song. Um, but yeah, uh, uh, Matt Dillon is featured in it. I don't know if you knew that. I didn't. It's kind of fun. He's actually the cop who arrests Shane McGowan. And it, it's kind of funny because um, he uh, <laughs> he was he was a big fan of the Pogues. And it's the reason he ended up being in the video. Um, and at one point, Shane kind of said to him, like, we have to make... Because I guess they kept re- redoing the scene because it didn't look convincing that Matt Dillon was kind of pushing him around. Mm. <laughs> and eventually Shane McGowan said, just just step into it. Uh, you know, don't handle me with kid gloves, you know, like let's, let's get this scene done. And so he, so he didn't end up kind of being uh, rough with him in the end. Um, one thing that's kind of funny about the shoot is that, uh, um, the, the Pogues were during the video shoot were drinking heavily <laughs> and they were actually a, a big part of the shoot was done in a, in a New York city police department okay. on the lower, lower East side, I believe. Um, and at one point, they were getting so out of hand that that Matt Dillon, who was the only sober one there, had to go and talk to the to the officers and say, "It's okay, I, I'll I'll vouch for them, like I'll keep them under control," kind of thing. <laughs> so that's kind of funny. 
Um, and then, yeah, one, one thing that, you know, as you kind of brought up about the, the NYPD choir, well, there is no NYPD right. choir. <laughs> um, and yeah, so as you sort of alluded to, uh, they did uh, employ the services of, uh, of the NYPD Pipes and Drums band. Um, and that's kind of funny because so they, I think it was about 30 or 35 uh, officers in this band, in this pipe band. Um, and they actually, they brought them over in a coach. And apparently they were drinking heavily in the coach <laughs> on the way to the set. Um, and so much so that when they arrived, uh, they refused to to do their part in the video unless they were given more alcohol. <laughs> All so, right. so in an odd odd turn of events, they are actually more drunk than the Pogues at this point. <laughs> that's an accomplishment. <laughs> Which is saying something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then the other thing that's kind of funny about this is that, um, of course, the lyric in the song is that the NYPD choir is singing Galway Bay. None of them actually knew Galway Bay. <laughs> so right. what they ended up doing was uh, they ended up singing the Mickey Mouse theme song because <laughs> it was yeah, the only song that. they all knew. And then they just kind of slowed it down um, in the video to make it seem convincing. And it is funny if you watch the video, it, it doesn't look like they're singing. <laughs> they're singing an Irish tune. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. that's pretty good. Yeah, I mean that the I've never seen the video, but the video has a is the stuff of legends. Yes. It, also, another thing: the the none of the cops had any idea who the Pogues were. It's <laughs> like you got okay. We'll do a video. You know. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, yeah, you know that's... they would have been a pretty niche thing at that point. I'm kind of surprised Matt Matt Dillon had heard of them even. Yeah, no, it's true. I remember the my my first encounter with anything Pogue, and I didn't realize it till much later. Uh, I saw someone wearing a T-shirt for the Pogues, and I didn't remember that. With I remember the guy with a Napoleon hat and and broken <laughs> teeth. And then oh. years later, I'm like, that was Shane McGowan. And, you know, oh. that was many years before they become a thing. Right. So it's like, okay, now it's starting to make some sense. Well, and it's funny because, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I think we mentioned this before, actually. I've always been amazed how Shane McGowan, McGowan shows up in, in so many of the early punk shows. He's in the audience, <laughs> especially the Sex Pistols. Anything, Anytime you see any of those early Sex Pistol shows, Shane's there. So I kind of love that, that 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 even at that young age, like punk was a, he had his Irish side and he had his punk side. And that was, that was early on. There, there's a clip of him at a sex pistol show head to toe in a union Jack suit. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah, which is kind of amazing. funny. No, apparently he saw the sex pistols and that was it. His life changed. He had long hair at that point. He cut it off and <laughs> yeah. And him he, and him and everyone else in the audience, it yeah, seems. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, and I guess another tidbit on on his, you know, the the Irish punk sound that he really popularized was that a lot of people were very angry. A lot of Irish people were very angry at the, what they at the time saw as sacrilege mm-hmm. by butchering their songs and punkifying them. And yeah, for sure. I mean, I think now, no, he's a he's a you know he's a favorite son, but back then, it's it true. Was, yeah. It's true at the time, yeah, they weren't nearly as accepted. And I think Fairytale of New York went a long way to, to gaining that acceptance because you hear a lot of the sort of traditional bands covering it now, you know? Um, yeah, and, you know, to me, I think, to me, this was really important because um, it was the first time where where these two different genres were fused so um, appropriately, I think. And that's Seamlessly. become such a... <laughs> such a 
such a mainstay of what I like about music now, <laughs> you know, that the, 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 and to me, I think that this was the first time that I kind of heard that thing going on and it was exciting to me. And then I think about other phases, like when, you know, this was basically like Celtic, you know, Irish music and, and punk coming together, but also I love that when country and punk come together and I love when jazz crosses over with sort of like ambient music or things like that. So I think it was really important for me to, to really, um, to have that way of like, Oh, we don't have to follow these rigid little, little things and we can fuse things. And, you know, that's exciting. I, I remember I saw a interview with Philip Chevron. Uh, I think he was rhythm guitar and mm-hmm. he died a few years back. And you know, one of his last interviews, it's, it's worth watching, just very you know, kind of blunt and honest, but yeah, you know, wonderfully done. Mm-hmm. And what he said was, he's like, the Pogues never could have happened in Ireland. No way. Oh, yeah. He yeah. said, uh, that had to, I quote, in that, that had to happen in the diaspora of, mm-hmm. of Irish people and, and basically in, in places in England, London, whatnot. Yeah, uh, this identity of this thing you really didn't even know, but yet that's who you were. It was an identity thrust upon you, and they took it. You know, they they co opted their own identity and made it their own thing. Yeah, and it'd be interesting because because as we just spoke about the Shane Shane was going to these punk shows. You know, if if he if he had not been living in London, you know, this this crossover may not have ever occurred to him. You know, right. Yeah, it, it it was it was a perfect blend of things that just one of those moments that came together and it really worked. But again, they had to they had to and they moved away from both punk and Irish music as time went on, which mm-hmm. was kind of interesting. One of the things that, of course, the lyrics were controversial, and um, this is, I just wanted to read you something that McGowan uh, sort of said in his defense about the lyrics. Okay. Okay. So he says, the word was used by the character because it fitted with the way she would speak and with her character. She's not supposed to be a nice person or even a wholesome person. She's a, she is a woman of a certain generation at a certain time in history, and she's down on her luck and desperate. Her dialogue is as accurate as I could make it, but she's not intended to offend. She's just supposed to be an authentic character, and not all characters in songs and stories are angels or even decent and respectable. Sometimes characters in songs and stories have to be evil or nasty to tell the story effectively. If, if people don't understand that I was trying to accurately portray the character as authentically as possible, then I am absolutely fine with them bleeping the word, but I don't want to get into an argument. The word being um, faggot? Yes. Okay. And that's, that's an interesting thing. And I mean, how much more articulate can you get than that? That was, I mean, says it all. It really does. And it's, it, I mean, it, it's funny because if you think about it, it's true. Like if you think about a novel or something, if you're trying, you know, there's evil characters in novels and they say bad things. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, oh, here's one for you on the same word. Um, you know, dire straits money for nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The little faggot with the earring and the makeup. Mm-hmm. Yeah, buddy, that's, it. I mean, it's from the perspective of a working man who throws those kind of words around in 1984 or whatever. Mm-hmm. That has since been deleted 
from the song. Oh, really? The, okay. The entire line is gone, or maybe even the entire verse. They just took it out completely. Um, because the, because of what the the heat that Shane was taking for that lyric, but yet this one survives curiously, and it's a Christmas song. It is so it is odd, and you know it didn't always get a pass. So there have been um, in you know live performances and that kind of thing. They have worked, you know, changed the lyrics to uh, to avoid this line, but it usually ends up back back at the original, um, which is really interesting. Um, is but, there an uh, edited version out there? Um, you know, you certainly it wouldn't it wouldn't be easy to find. <laughs> um, certainly, the version that everyone hears is is the uh, the, the original. scumbag you maggot version. Yeah. So, but yeah, I know it is interesting that it, it's, it's stayed that way. And, and I think, I think Shane makes a pretty good argument. Of course, it's all, this is all grays here. This is, you know, um, someone takes that line and in, 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 out of context and uses it as a, as a means of hate or something. That's a, that's a horrible thing. And, and of course that happens as well. So it's tricky. I, I think, I mean, it's obviously a story and they ref, and it's a, referring to a time in the past where that was more acceptable and all of that. Right. Um, reference. I can't remember the, all the lyrics off the top of my head, but referencing stuff from the 1940s and stuff like that. Sinatra and yeah, Yeah, that's it. Sinatra was swinging the band. Yeah. That, that bit. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then, um, another sad story is of course, Christy McCall's early death, uh, being hit by a powerboat. Uh, while on vacation in Mexico. I was living in Mexico when that happened. I remember reading all about it. Well, it's so, yeah, you might have something to say about this because as I understand it, the the person who was in control of the boat was uh, this very rich um, supermarket, uh, head of a super Mexican supermarket chain. And it seems to me like, it sounds like the they they laid the blame on someone else who was like a servant or something like that so that this person wouldn't have to do time or is that, does that sound right? That's, that pretty much sums it up. Um, it's, yeah. it, it's the probably at the time it would have been the biggest supermarket chain in Mexico. Yeah. And it was either the guy himself or his son driving the boat. Um, yeah, yeah, th- that's right. I think the way it went down was Kirsty McCall could have gotten out of the way, but she was protecting a son Yes, that's right. Um, she I was swimming with both of her sons, I believe, and and pushed them out of the way, and then ended up dying as a result of that. Right, that would have been in two thousand, I think, or ninety nine yes. at the earliest. That's right. That's right. And she was she was just forty one at the time. Right. Yeah. It, it, and then, I mean, there there have been various campaigns in Ireland of boycott Mexico, justice for Kirsty, mm-hmm. and on and on and on. I mean, they. I don't. I don't think anything's ever come of that. And, you know, a local, yeah. you know, a, a national big wig at that time that would be very influential 
to make things go his way. Yeah, it's good luck. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so that that was very sad uh, incident. Um, and uh, there's been so many covers done of Fairy Tale of New York. I don't know if you're aware of uh, aware of any of them. Well, have you have you had the? Did you stomach the recent one with the Kels brothers? No, I haven't heard that one. A uh, Taylor Swift's. Oh, oh, oh! Uh, of this song? Yeah. Oh no, I didn't know that. Yeah, it went to number one. <laughs> oh, is that the one that went to? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, they they being so their people rewrote a song about two brothers. I mean, I I haven't listened to it. I I mean, vomit bag was not handy when I'd read that little <laughs> clip, so I couldn't bring myself to do it. They've got cars, biggest bars. They got rivers of gold. But the wind goes right through you. No place for the old. You first took my hand on a cold Christmas Eve. You promised me Broad Street was waiting for me. You were handsome, you were pretty. You're the king of South Philly. When the band finished playing, they howled out for more. The leathers were swinging, all the drums they were singing. We fought on a corner, then danced through the night. Yeah, well, there's a whole there's a whole gamut of of covers. Um, going from really quite amazing to very vomit inducing, <laughs> okay. as you mentioned. Um, do you know KT Tunstall? I know the name, not familiar okay. with the she, work. She did a really good one with uh, Ed Harcourt. They've got cars, because bars, they got rivers of gold. But the wind goes right through you, it's no place for the old. When you first took my hand on that cold Christmas Eve, you promised me Broadway was waiting for me. You were handsome. You were pretty queen of New York City. When the band finished playing, they held out for more. So now was swinging, all the drunks they were singing. Have you heard the John Bon Jovi version? That would be one I couldn't hit stop fast enough. <laughs> I think I think I, I think I had, and I, I literally was like, uh-uh, I can't deal with this right now. And I turned it off. So no, I haven't. Christmas Eve, babe, in the drunk tank, an old man said to me, won't see another one, and then he sang a song, rare old mountain dew, I turned I actually, I, I actually watched a YouTube video and it was one of those, re, you know, reacting to videos. And it was so funny. Like the guy just starts, like, it's like a mixture of just like disdain and <laughs> and just laughing, but like, it's painful laughter, you know? Oh man, he really destroyed it. It's like what, you know, and it's funny. I've listened to some stuff and like, everyone's like, what was he thinking? <laughs> it's so bad. Yeah. What was who thinking? Whoever he got the gave the rights to Bon Jovi. What was he thinking? Yeah, when he kind of really butchered it, he he kind of like took out a whole part, and it's very awkward what he did with it too. That's really bad. Yeah, that's weird. That's just plain weird. <laughs> but again, this the song is just out there as is a, a Christmas staple now, which is it's which is kind of an amazing thing. It's really odd. It it really is. Yeah, and I I can't think of any 
precedent. I can't even think of anything that's come out since that's like that, that has, that has that kind of argument in as a central feature. And, and the thing is like, the song is incredible from start to finish, but that part really grabs people. It's, it's, it's that part. And I think it is this, it's almost like an antidote to all this like saccharine crap that we're fed at yeah. Christmas that I think people have really, um, grabbed onto. Well, I mean, most of the, I mean, most of the good Christmas songs are anti-Christmas or the other side of Christmas. <laughs> I mean, John Lennon's, and so this is Christmas. So this is Christmas. And what have you done? Another year over. And a new one just begun. And so this is Christmas I hope you have fun The near and the dear one The Kinks, Father Christmas. Yep. Um, I mean, those are those are kind of like, wait a minute here, let's take a look at this. Um, yeah. You know, and on the other side of the, the spectrum, you have... <laughs> Simply having a wonderful Christmas time. Gong. <laughs> My vote for the worst Christmas song of all time. I think, hey, we agree on something then. That, that, <laughs> I mean, that one is like at the gates of hell itself. I mean, jeez. Yeah, but I mean, when's the, I, I can't even think of the last time any modern Christmas song has come out. I mean, it's, I mean, it's the, it's the one time people listen to freaking forties music, you know? Yeah, that's true. And it, it's still out there. Um, and it, you know, you don't think of the other side of it. I mean, think of, um, you know, chestnuts roasting on an open fire. No one ever thinks of the chestnuts here, you know, they're, they're, they're <laughs> burning to death and pop. I mean, where's the sensitivity? Chestnuts roasting on an open fire. Jack Frost nipping at your nose. Yuletide carols being sung by... And then, you know, (laughs) bells on bobtail ring. You think the poor horse getting whipped? I mean, (laughs) where's the decency? I mean, it's... Cruelty. Yeah. It's a cruel Christmas. (laughs) So it it needed a corrective. And and again, yeah, as you put it, the saccharine nature of Christmas songs. And and then, you know, suicide rates are through the roofs during this time mm-hmm. period mm-hmm. because you're bombarded with everyone's happy except for you. Exactly. And yeah. so listen listen to the Pogues and oh okay, I'll 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 be I mean the very it, first line is is you know, it was Christmas Eve babe in the drunk tank. <laughs> an old man yeah. said to me, "Won't see another one." <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Now we're talking, I mean, maybe he goes too far the other way, but it needed the corrective, right? Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I think that was his whole thing. He was always just this total outsider. It's incredible. And, and you know, even, you know, early on playing up his his t- lack of teeth, his rotting teeth, you know, in the in the Dirty Old Town video, it was very much a, like, this is who I am and take it or leave it. I think it's it's so punk rock to me. Yeah, and, and his teeth, apparently he was very, very sensitive about that. Um, okay. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Even though he just let her fly, um, you yeah. know, there's a lot of pictures of him kind of tight lipped. So he didn't want anyone to look at his teeth. Um, yeah. 
Hmm. And he, he thought he thought he was ugly, and but he, hmm. but yeah, there's. I mean, he's a multifaceted guy. It, yeah. Apparently, he, what he preferred to do most was watch movies. He was in, really into watching movies and you know quiet evenings. At least mm-hmm. toward at least in the end of his life, who knows how much he drank at yeah. that point. Well, and he was obviously an avid reader. I mean, he's you know there 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 are references uh, there you know there are allusions to like eighth century poems in. In Fairtale, New York. So this is not a dumb guy who wasn't very well read, you know? No, no on the contrary. Uh, as a young kid, he was recognized early on as being very smart. And his parents made a huge effort to get him into the private schools of England, like the highest end ones. Mm-hmm. Because he was recognized by his instructors as this kid is smart. He was reading yeah. like James Joyce at age 13 and things like that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, but then, then his, you know, the, his teenness, you know, caught, got the better of him. He was dabbling in drugs. And I think it was a, it, he was caught distributing and the school expelled him at that point. Okay. But he, hmm. he had, he was on track at least for a brief moment of having like an academic career. Hmm. Yeah. Who knows? Wow. Yeah. Professor McGowan could have been. <laughs> right. And I Irish think- literature. Yeah, and I don't think he cared when that fell apart. And he obviously no. did quite well for himself. Yeah. But it was, yeah, it was still that that literary side of him was part of who he was as well. Okay, your favorite Pogue song. Oh, you know what? I love If I Should Fall From Grace With God. It's, it, 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 it's not, there hasn't been one minute that I didn't hear that and it didn't make me feel excited. But kind of a an, an odd one, um, not not really on the same level, but I've always loved it. Maybe just because it wasn't as readily available. But I love South Australia. <laughs> All right, and that was um, that it's was like a non-album track, and it's a non-Shane track too. It's a non-Shane track, yeah. Yeah, someone else was singing. Was that Phil Chevron? I don't remember. I don't know either. You know, I was actually going to look that up. <laughs> I, I I wonder if it might actually be the drummer. In South Australia, I was born. I'll tell you my favorite one, or at least the most powerful one for me was, uh, and the band played Waltzing Matilda. Mm, interesting it, pick. Yeah. It just that I think Shane, I mean, it wasn't even their song. It was a cover by a Scottish mm-hmm. folk singer who lived in mm-hmm. Australia. But it, I mean, Shane brings, brings the, brings that song to life. And I think that reveals, that song reveals his gift as a singer mm-hmm. and a, ability to instill you know it, to bring emotion into the song in a very meaningful way he slowed it down um mm-hmm. and they were willing to do like this eight minute song that that's just depressing verse after depressing verse after depressing <laughs> verse and i think where he hits it out of the park is at the very end you know he's like and the band play waltzing that's that's the verse and then he mm-hmm. launches into the actual song waltzing matilda and, oh yeah, and then it's sort of like then it brings the whole irony of it home, and it's like boom, he got it. Year after year, their numbers get fewer. Someday no one will march there at all. 
Waltzing Matilda Waltzing Matilda Go a waltzing Matilda with me And that's why rum, sodomy, and the lash is better than <laughs> if I should fall from grace. Game, set, match. Take that. Uh, well, Ty, it is Christmas. Maybe I'll give you the final word. Okay. Well, that's, that's so very touching of you. Happy Christmas, you're ours. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to TNT's Hit Songs from Mars. We hope you enjoyed yourself and learned a few things along the way. For a complete list of songs you heard in this episode, visit us at hsfm.buzzsprout.com. We hope you'll support the artists we featured by purchasing their music. If you liked this episode, please subscribe to the podcast and you'll receive new episodes as soon as they become available. While you're at it, if you could give us a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts, that would really help us out. We would like to thank The Reverb Syndicate for providing the theme song for our podcast. They have an extensive catalog of tunes just as rockin' as the one you hear here. Here, here. You can find them at thereverbsyndicate.ca and on Facebook, SoundCloud, and Bandcamp, which typically pays artists the most. We would also like to thank Eric Minot for designing our podcast icon. You can find his design and illustration work on Instagram at Graphics. That's M-I-N-O-G-R-A-P-H-X. You can connect with us on Instagram at TNTS, Hit Songs from Mars. Feel free to disagree, praise, correct, and chastise us. We would also love to hear your idea of a hit song from Mars and why you think it fits the mold. Even better, if you felt like recording a voice memo and sending it our way, you can email us at hitsongsfrommars at gmail.com. We may even feature it on the show. Until next time, Earthlings. <laughs>